Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at ycampidaho.org. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Jump in a Mustang and plug in your listening device and drive through the hills of San Francisco like a crazy person as we discuss 1968's Bullet on Zach on Film. Oh man, I have seen this movie so many times. Really? I I think it's because um, what most people are going to remember about Bullet (laughs) is the car chase sequence, and it's the that's the only thing that people talk about when you talk about Bullet is this car chase sequence that took place in in San Francisco, and I Mm -hmm. use it a lot in my editing class when we talk about action. But you know, you have to watch the whole movie, and I've I've watched that movie probably a dozen times in the last dozen years. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting movie. And when we yes. look at um, detective caper films, mm-hmm. um, it's really fascinating because the whole—I don't know if this, this certainly isn't the first time that it, that this is this trope has been used, but the mm-hmm. fake your own death with someone else's identity yeah. um, mm-hmm. scheme is is the is pretty slick in this movie. How? Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, uh, you're the person we're supposed to be protecting. You're some guy from uh, uh, back east that we don't know. We've never yeah. seen before. We're supposed to protect you. He dies. And then it turns out that it was somebody else sitting in his place. I mean, you you talk about you talk about a, a, your twist to kick yeah, yeah. the third act into gear, right? Yeah. Right. This is it, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, definitely. This is this is. Yeah. This is I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a textbook example because the way they approach mm-hmm. it is different. Mm-hmm. But weird, yeah. but yeah, they do a good job of it. Yeah, and that's what I think is is fascinating about the story is the old switcheroo we've seen happen in other movies. But I don't think as interestingly as they do in here. That being said, this movie does kind of follow a lot of yeah. This is this is a things. but simple mm. cop movie. Yeah, a but simple cop movie elevated by excellent execution yes. and and cinematography. And, and I mean, Steve you McQueen, could see this, come on, yeah, yeah. Steve McQueen. Well, yeah, but you could see this with Bogart in 1945 with minimal changes. You could see this in 1990 with Bruce Willis, and actually they did it. I think they called it uh, what they, what do they call that thing breakdown or something with minimal changes. I mean, it's it's not necessarily the material that elevates this film. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, McQueen is amazing and there's really great sequences and don't don't underestimate Robert Vaughn. No, he does movie. a great job. Oh yeah, Robert Vaughn mm-hmm. is great as a slick this, smarmy. This is something politician. where if you break it down, you know, and Widget and I were watching it together today and she was just like, "So, why did it end like that?" And I'm like, "Well, that's it." She's like, "But that that doesn't make sense. And why well, is he which, washing his hands?" Well, which part? Which part? Which part did she not get? Because maybe well, Zach can w- answer that for her. Probably not. As as we were going through it, I think, and this actually threw me as well. The central twist of that plot, the mistaken identity bit, didn't necessarily hit me at first because I was so fascinated by the 1968 fax machine, which is bigger than my house. <laughs> that was awesome. It Wasn't it like, though? And it seemed like magic because I had no idea that was, how it was working. That was like magic. And, of course, she also did point out the fact that they lost three hubcaps and exploded with three hubcaps still on the car. So that car had six hubcaps total. <laughs> and she wanted to know where they were coming from. But that's another story entirely. But yeah, I I want to say that that threw her the the identity thing, and then at the end, you know, where you have the big action sequence, right? You have the the tension and the thing, and then the bang, 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 
And then he just kind of goes home and washes his hands and goes to bed. And you it's got, such you got a an great... idea on that? You got an idea Tell on, me, on Zach. that, Zach? Um, um, it is right up my butt right here. Him washing his hands is an allusion to Pontius Pilate in the Bible washing his hands of the case of Jesus. Because he's like, done, done with this. This is none of me. I didn't sign up for this bull crap. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it says right there in no the Bible. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Honestly, that's the only story I know Steve people of washing their hands. So I was like, I have, honestly, so I have no idea. This movie was really... Uh, I should, honestly, I should have watched it again. Yeah. Because... Uh, what threw me for this movie, and it, this will tie back into the why I was like, what the frick, this is over? Uh, feeling I kind of had at the end was it was high intensity mm-hmm. throughout most of the movie, but the way it is shot and cut makes it feel incredibly slow, hmm. and the music is not like, there's no music for yeah. so much yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah. So many of the action scenes have no yeah. music. That whole mm-hmm. running around the airport, no music. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and when so there is I was music, it's the thrown. weird jazz flute music mm-hmm. that Which doesn't awesome. feel... Well, but here's... But here, no, no, no. Here's, that, is the, that is almost the key right there. Where does this story take place? San Francisco. Mm-hmm. When does it take place? The height of the hippie movement. Is Steve McQueen a hippie? Hell no. He is as straight cop as you can straight cop be mm-hmm. in a 1969-68 movie. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend, the architect, the quote-unquote artist, mm-hmm. ha- has a culture clash. This movie is pointing out the culture clash between mm-hmm. the hippie movement and the, and the establishment. And normal people. And the establishment that's in here. Because... When they go to that restaurant and they're having fun, um, you know, right before the the witness gets killed, he's uncomfortable in that environment, even though he's laughing. And the girlfriend is looking at Jacqueline Bissett is looking at him like, what is your problem? And even later on, she's after she witnesses the murder and sees uh, Bullet just acting so casual. She's like, Mm -hmm. how can you deal with this? How can you be so how can you act this way when you're confronted with these atrocities? Mm -hmm. At the end, if you watch when he blows away. The, the the mob informant at the end, he does it calm, cool, and collected. When he's done, he looks down at the body, and then he goes home. Him looking at himself in the mirror is him with this realization or this actualization of, yeah, how can I be so nonchalant about mm-hmm. all this stuff that I do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that – And it's all – and that it's is all when, metatextual. Yeah, when you look at it from the fact that where are all the freaking hippies in this movie? Well, and and actually – you can see that as um, the the pull is between the girlfriend and uh, was it, is it Robert Vaughn? Is yeah, that Robert Vaughn? Is uh, his character Kavanaugh or uh, Chalmers? Sorry, right. So it's between the girlfriend and Chalmers, and so what happens at the end? Blows the guy away. He l- takes his pulse, throws the jacket over him, walks off. Right. right. Um, Chalmers. Like, he just lost his witness, mm-hmm. but he knows there's nothing to be done, so he just gets in a limo and drives away, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. He he is that callous right. that you right. that Bullet isn't supposed to become, mm-hmm. and at the end of the movie, that's what Bullet becomes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that, or, you know, movie. we're just looking at his gun on, on, on well, nights or on the couch or whatever. Yeah. On the banister, right, to I some think, degree, so yeah. That, yeah. but that's true. I mean, he's taken his gun and he's putting his he's put his gun on the couch, and the gun is kind of representation of that life, and it's sitting there, and it's like, why is this the center of the this the elephant in the room? That's his other life coming home to roost. I definitely see that. This well, and the also, fact that if and the fact that you're looking at him in the mirror and you may be thinking or thinking through his eyes is, Oh, maybe he is going to change. Maybe he's had too much, but the last shot is right. it's going back to the gun. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going back to be the cop. Maybe he's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, and, that's you know, how I read it. And it's just, yeah. when you, reading. when you, when that well, flute and, music kicks in yeah. and you're like, Holy crap, they are, they are at hate Ashbury. They are right at the, the center of the hippie movement. And they're not dealing with any of that in this oh, yeah. movie because it is such a straight, cop movie well and this could have taken place it didn't have to take place in san francisco this could have taken place anywhere on the west coast or the southwest and had some of the same impact because of the east coast they could have done it in los angeles yeah, yeah. i mean this yeah. is 
you know, we've seen Rockford deal with East Coast mobs yeah. uh, in the 1970s. So um, it's it's interesting because the the scene where it's got the the flute music is like s- s- the loudest thing you can't hear mm-hmm, anybody mm-hmm. talking, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if they were saying kind of like here's like here's the establishment, you know, the good thing and here's like the hippies, you know, that other thing. Right. I mean, it's like it's really putting it forward as like a place where he's not comfortable, mm-hmm. like you can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. I'm. I am certain. I am 100 percent certain that that part where like the waiter hits him with the menu, yeah, was completely oh, yeah. accidental, oh, yeah, and they yeah. just kept it in. Oh, yeah. But it fits. It's yeah, like yeah. literally, he's yep. like attacked. Yeah, he by doesn't this. belong in that. Yeah, area. he doesn't belong. He's like a. He's and, like a shark in a fishbowl. So it's, and they make us uncomfortable as well. The way that's the way that's cut together with mm-hmm, the music, and mm-hmm. you watch that, and you're like, God, this is awkward. And you're every you time did, you watch him, you're watching him through other people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, all the shots are like from another through table. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, that was one of my big things. Well, we or through a window or, or across something. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, Jump into so uh, what I found interesting through uh, the photography of this film was that that idea that we are looking through a lot of different things to see him, which. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we did a lot of those shots and just like intermittently throughout, we would see him doing something and it would be this weird like point of view shot, but it'd also be slightly handheld. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. to when the I voyeur. was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when yeah, I like was, the camera would move every once in a while or in we, a weird like, way. Yeah. And not even, yeah, like not even like a pan or thing. It just kind of like tilt or like someone's mm-hmm. holding it. And to me, when I'm watching it, it gave the feeling that, like someone was spying on him and, yep. it, and this totally could be uh that I love big brother and like some of the camera shots they do in the house are like weird mm-hmm. like that and so it kind of gives this f- same feeling of mm-hmm. like he's being watched that voyeurism so yeah. i wonder if and again this is me speculating and you can breed into it and agree and disagree and i'd like to hear your thoughts but at one point bullet interesting name for a cop yeah. um is talking to chalmers or talking to uh delgatti or delgetti who i uh, think is his boss right is that chief delgetti or captain delgetti uh, let's see Ba-ba-ba-ba. yes delgetti don gordon well no no no, but, no. Uh, simon oakland uh, captain captain yeah, bennett is bennett. what i'm thinking yeah yes. delgetti delgetti is the head. first yeah yeah so um chalmers and bullet and Bennett, he's basically um, is saying, well, why are, why did you pick me for this assignment? Mm-hmm. And they basically said, hey, you're a media darling. The public really likes right. you, right? Mm-hmm. You've like, done some high-profile things. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you're played by Steve McQueen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You are gorgeous. And so I wonder if, if part of that statement is you're well-known in this community also reflects back on the fact that these kinds of shots are reflecting other people looking at bullet mm-hmm. In these mm-hmm. environments, and look how this cool cop that we know is sure. one of the things. I I don't know. What do you guys think of that? I think I think it's a good point, especially yeah. because you could say that this whole thing is an experiment, right? Everybody is always talking about how this could pay off big time for everyone involved, right? Chalmers has this witness. They're putting bullet in to 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 watch this. And do all this stuff. So from the point of view that this is all like all of the powers that that be are looking in on what Bullet is doing, I think it definitely holds holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially when it starts to go wrong, right? And it is mm-hmm. it does act kind of like all of a sudden it is this kind of experiment that's gone wrong, mm-hmm. and everybody's like throwing stuff in to fix it, and like they're actually just wrecking it more, oh, yeah. making it worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of the things that. I was curious about in, in relation to this topic and especially some of the things that we're seeing 1970 census population of San Francisco city and county 715,000 people in the city and county of San Francisco, mm-hmm. 1970, hmm. 2010. This is weird. Total population, 805,000. You, you think hmm. it's too small of a growth? Yeah. I was expecting a million plus. Well, well, is it just San Fran- the, just says, the city of San Francisco? San Francisco city and county. City and county. Oh. I don't know. San Francisco is. Weird. I just, I just, I just I blame gentrification. 
I think. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. If you're if you're looking at just urban San Francisco, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. ends up happening is the center of the city, all of the small tenements get taken out, replaced by big spacious buildings. So literally, there are fewer people living in the center of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So that actually works against that growth. If you look at the the suburbs and some of the like, if you widen the scope, you might actually yeah. Yeah. see. Yeah. So if you look at uh, San Jose, San Francisco, and Oakland combined, yeah. Yeah. eight eight uh, and a yeah. half million people. Right. Uh, right. Sure. So that right. is that is statistically a bigger um, area Sample. over yeah. time. Yeah, I'm sure. going to see if I can find some other historical data because one of the other things that really amazes me, especially when we look at. Uh, time capsule stuff and i guess mm-hmm. looking at rocky and this and um taxi driver um yeah just how freaking filthy everything was in the 70s <laughs> yeah and well, this is this is 1968 this- and 70 but this whole time from like i don't know 65 through like 82 or 83 just the filth everywhere <laughs> Well, and I think it looks that way the same way we look back to, you know, Renaissance doctors and are horrified at the things that they do and that especially the things that they didn't do. But if it, the one thing that I really found interesting about this was this was clearly the model for dozens of shows that oh, I yeah, watched yeah, yeah. as a child. The Streets of San Francisco, your Dragnet revamp from the 70s, your Adam 12, all of those movies, all of those shows, Emergency, tons and tons of things. Even going into the age of Miami Vice, you're still seeing the influence of this film, the way it's staged, the way it's put together, the main character as, you know, the, the tough cop who has to make the hard decisions, your Starsky and Hutch all about Bullet. This is such a familiar film to me, even though I haven't watched it as many times as Stephen has, because there's it's it's got so much influence on what would become basically that 70s cop show aesthetic. Your, even your Columbo and your Rockford take a lot from the pages of Bullet, which is fascinating to look at to me. Well, so Bullet is also a movie that's based on a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called, mm-hmm. what is it, The Mute Man or The Man Who Was Mute or something the like that. The Mute Witness. The Mute Witness. Mm-hmm. Um, the Steve McQueen's character is actually his character, though it's from the book, he is basing it on a real life detective mm-hmm. uh, that McQueen followed around and like almost immediately and was also well known and well liked in the community of San Francisco. But yep. also like immediately after or the soon as this release uh, came out, that's when the Zodiac killer started to appear. And that yep. cop who McQueen was based it, on was involved. Toshi. Yeah. Toshi was the one who was running the Zodiac killer case. Wow. Oh. And if you watch the movie called Zodiac Killer, I think is the one that it is, they actually make mm-hmm. a reference saying, oh, yeah, well, uh, uh, McQueen yeah. based himself on Toshi or something like that. They say that in the movie. Right. Like Steve Man McQueen shows that. up in the movie and he's like following <laughs> him around while he's hunting the Zodiac Killer. He's like, Steve McQueen, just stand back, OK? I'm trying to detective here. Robert Downey Jr. says that about the Mark Ruffalo character. So it's Iron Man talking about the Hulk. Uh, because everything relates to comic books for me. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And on that note, is this not the most hey, it's that guy movie we've looked at? In <laughs> yeah, Zach yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a lot of that. And everybody in this movie is a hey, it's that guy. Mr. Would, Mr. Roper is in there. Mr. What I, Roper. What I would like to know is if uh, Robert Duvall was had as high a billing when this movie came out as he does like on the iTunes thing. Cause it's like mm-hmm. this movie has Robert Duvall who plays a taxi driver yeah. for <laughs> two scenes. For all of 10 minutes. Yes. Is Duvall. I, I, I want to go. He's a list. I mean, he's listed the in the movie. Oh, okay. In the main credits. He's yeah. like, but is he the most represented actors. actor in the Zach on film list? Cause I know we've seen him like five times. That's now. a good point. Yeah. Harrison he was, Ford. he was in this, he was in apocalypse. Harrison, Harrison Ford would be probably a very a close lot. second. In a lot of weird yeah, Duval though he is in everything. Yeah. Like we have seen because because actually a lot of the stuff that has Harrison Ford also has Robert Duval. Yeah, The Godfather, Robert Duval. Yeah. What else yeah. did we see him? Apocalypse Now. We the saw conversation him. has both the Harrison Ford and Robert Duval. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it's. I wonder if it's just something where those actors all turned in the same circles, or whether Robert Duval is like this magic lightning rod. <laughs> yes, for awesome. He was also apparently in THX 1138, which I didn't know. Yes. Yes, he was. Um, My guess is that 
people locked onto a group of actors. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. who got and that, all the jobs during that time. That always, yeah, that always happens, right? Happens I mean, somebody somebody gets into a hot streak and mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes. Right. And probably mm-hmm. Frankenstein. Actually, no. Two-Phase yeah. is Frankenstein. And Zoe Saldana is every female action character yep, over yep, the last yep. 10 years. And that was, and, you know, over the last five years and five years ago, that was Angelina Jolie. Yep. True. So I, I can just true. imagine that there was a time where it's like, yeah, give me that guy. Give me that guy. Yep. Give me that guy. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's how they appear. We want, um, a, we want a Robert Duvall type. And they're like, hey, you want the real Robert Duvall? Who was that one Irish guy in The Godfather? <laughs> <laughs> John Polito. Yeah. But uh, yeah, even, there's somebody in like there that looks Bitchler. just like him. There's somebody that uh-huh. looks like Polito in this movie. And I was like, oh, my God, John there's Polito. another there's another Godfather actor. Mel from Alice is in this movie. Vic Tabak is in this movie. Not, you know, Mel and Mr. Roper in the same movie. And um, the thing that's really fascinating is Bullet's partner, um, Del Getty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With mm-hmm. uh, with a slick back hair and his boss, uh, Captain. What's his face? Captain Bennett. Captain mm-hmm. Morgan. Both of them had high-profile Twilight Zone roles where yeah. I'm like, why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? I literally had to go look them up on well, the so IMDb. Did Norman Fell was also in Twilight Zone episodes as well. I don't believe he was. I, I Go look. I bet he also, was. Also, Simon Oakland was in Psycho. That's true. I don't remember Norman Fell ever having been in a, in a Twilight Zone, but uh, Don Gordon was uh, in a really high-profile, one of the better ones, and it's something where even the doctor – with the big fro, yeah. that's George Stanford Brown from the Rookies. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Loved that guy growing up, and I'm just like, this is such a cool. You know, I, I didn't recognize Jacqueline Bissett. She's the only person that I didn't have a hey, it's that guy about, and I feel really. You know, I got a question that. about uh, Jacqueline Bissett, and maybe Zach, you did you read uh, Rope, um, Ebert's review? I know that you go mm-hmm. into some of his classic reviews yeah. about these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you agree with him? I mean, he goes and says Jacqueline Bissett, while she's a great or good actress. And mm-hmm. is pretty in this role, serves absolutely no purpose, and there's no reason to have included her in this in this movie. I mean, no, I wouldn't go that far. I think, I mean, obviously, when you start looking at the way you've kind of broken it down and uh, kind of like this underlying theme of what Bull is talking about, she serves a huge purpose mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Uh, what you think Yates yeah, yeah. is going for here. Yeah. Uh, so obviously not, and so I mean that sheds like a new light on the character. Even then. Um, she's not a prominent character by any means, but not something that's like, oh, she was unnecessary. I can see the, the thought process that this is a movie about a crime caper Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. she is not involved in it at all. So I can see that she's, she's basically the, she's a character. Yeah. Character. Right. She's a character that's there. So you can see bullets character. Right. That's what she's there for. So much of, you know, what we've talked about and what you take away from Bullet being kind of torn by the, the am I, you know, am I in a point or the, the violence or whatever he's looking at in his life. So much of that is subtext. If you look at this movie just straightforward, oh, there yeah. really isn't much reason to have that girlfriend character because they don't they don't play it up. They don't say you know, oh, bullet, you're you're so violent. They don't make that a huge problem, and it doesn't really come up again unless you're really looking for it and you're you're looking to interpret that out of the film. When you get to the end and he comes home and she's just lying there and he's looking at himself, there's nothing there that implies that there's any type of closure or any type of resolution. There's nothing that says he he could have come home to an empty apartment and that scene would have played really kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Widget would have still said, why is he washing his hands? But, yeah, I, I can see the point that they're making. But I think that there, this is one of those movies where there's things that either didn't or couldn't make it into the film. Kind of like when we talked about um, in Rebel Without a Cause, that implication that Plato is totally in love with James Dean. And both of the actors played it that way, but they couldn't come out and say it, and it wasn't necessarily something that was dealt with in the text of the film. I think it's kind of like that. Um, it's interesting, Zach, that you mentioned that you felt that this movie was slow. Can you go? Yeah. Can you expand a little bit on that? Um, sure. Uh, so I guess the I guess a classic case 
which we looked at in your class, is the twelve minute car chase. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when you when you look when you start looking back at film, you kind of see this general trend. We look back at like uh, in the last episode of Dancing in the Rain. Or singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. I don't know. They dance in the rain too. Uh, yeah, singing and yeah, dancing yeah, yeah, yeah. in the rain. But yeah. both, both the same time, most of the time. Uh, where you have long wide shots of actors yeah. showing off their talents of what they can do, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what we see in Bullet in the car chase scene where Steve McQueen is in his Mustang and he's roaring through the hills and doing all these mm-hmm. crazy power turns and uh, other car slogan burnout uh, against. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Losing these more guys caps and, than they have. And so you have this talent that you want to showcase, kind of like in a kung fu movie, where you actually have talented people yeah. uh, doing that. So that, to show almost a talented driver, you have to do wide shots and say, like, look at him driving this thing. He's driving this thing, and it's like a 10-second shot, yeah. right? So it's a lot different edited pace than Fast and the Furious or Triple yeah. X or something. So like I think again, this is one of those times where you see or the chase in the airport. Holy yeah. crap! That feel like it was eight yeah, it was, hours it was long. long. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was tense. That was tense. Um, so the the car chase scene in itself, I think, again, is one of these first times we see something like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there were car chases before that, but this is the yeah. first time that we're doing it in a very urban populated area. Sure. Um, they get they had to get special permission to do it in, in different places. The classic, you know, car coming over the hill and, and lifting, mm-hmm. catching air. Yeah. I mean, that is this yeah. place right yeah. here in this right, movie. Right, because right. following this, you see that happen in a lot of movies um, after that, so subsequent to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the wide shots actually are not Steve McQueen driving the car. The only time Steve McQueen's that. driving the car is in the close-ups. He had his regular stunt driver, mm-hmm. the same guy who did the stunts in um, The Great Escape, mm-hmm. Um, Steve McQueen was driving the car in the wide or in the close-ups. His stunt driver was driving it in the uh, wide shots. There are times, apparently, if you're watching the movie and you notice the rear window for Steve Mc- or the rear mirror for Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. when it's pointed at Steve McQueen, obviously he's down driving. When it's tilted down, it's his stunt uh-huh. person driving. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the stunt the uh, stunt driving coordinator mm-hmm. for this sequence was the driver of the black Dodge. Mm-hmm. He was the one. He was the coordinator in addition to being the actor in this piece. Right. Um, Which is cool. If you go and this is what's fascinating about this. After I think it was like. I want to say it was a couple of weeks of shooting that scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a week of shooting that scene. Seven days. They only mm-hmm. came away with just under nine and a half minutes of usable usable footage. footage. Wow. So mm-hmm. that's why when you watch it and you watch it really closely. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I always so they, point out they is they used every they, last they used, minute. They used yeah. everything that they could and often from multiple angles. You'll notice yeah. that they passed the mm-hmm. same green uh, beetle multiple oh, times yeah. oh, well, because that camera was stationed in the same yeah. uh, camera stationed in three different places during that sequence. And they're cutting yeah. that stuff again mm-hmm. and again and again. And, same way with the hubcaps coming off. Oh, yeah. Yep. You're seeing that that same turn multiple times. If you watch closely, you'll see damage to both cars appear mm-hmm. before the cars have collisions with one Be- another. Mm-hmm. Before you see the damage. Now, uh, this is one, uh, Zach, I actually this is one of my cl- classic TV horror stories. I worked with a director at WIBW in Topeka who told a story about Bullet. <clears throat> and it's basically back in the day, and I don't know if they do this anymore, occasionally Say you would fill time. Yeah, in the 80s, the 90s, you would fill time on your local stations with programming. Sometimes you'd cover up network programming to get more advertising. And one of the things we would do is we would run a Friday night movie. And my friend Denny would tell the story of how he would always have to edit it for time. So he gets this movie – and he's like, oh, well, I can edit it for time. And he can't oh. find anything to cut until he gets to that chase scene. And he's like, oh, okay, I can cut like eight minutes out of this chase scene. <laughs> Denny doesn't know what bullet is. He cuts literally 90% of the chase scene out. And he says that the guys in Master Control, they're preparing for the 10 o'clock news when this is airing because it's like eight thirty, nine o'clock. They're doing the thing. The guys in Master Control... As we get to the chase scene, all of a sudden, the lights start to come on on the phone. And all the lights on the phone go, because everybody was waiting for the big, awesome chase scene. And what they got was the beginning of it, mm-hmm. one big and leap, explosion. And, the, and the explosion. 
and it's it's fascinating to me that he didn't he had no context for this being that famous scene. Yeah. He's like, I can cut ten minutes out of this and make it fit my two hour time slot. And here's the thing: I'm not trying to disparage this scene. I'm not saying sure you are. <laughs> okay, you are. <laughs> that is like <laughs> no. I, know, I, I, I understand yeah. uh, the time. I understand what's happening, uh, and <clears throat> apparently how influential it is. I understand that, and I appreciate that. But through the lens that I grew up with. I can appreciate pacing in older movies, but that scene is long. Some of the other chase scenes are are long for a purpose. I mean, if they had nine and a half minutes of footage to right. do that, why not make it a nine and a half minute chase? It, it, it could have been a six footage. minute. It could have been That's a six minute saying. car chase. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to reuse footage. Well, right. So this is what happens sometimes as a creator, and, mm. and I've seen I've seen students do this a lot. <laughs> I really love that shot. Yep. Mm-hmm. We spent we mm-hmm. spent a whole day getting those ten shots. Yep. I want to use every single one of those ten yep. shots. Let's work to make sure that we use this to its fullest potential. Yep. And if mm-hmm. and you got to again think if this is one of the first times you've seen a chase like this, you want to draw it out as much as you can to make the audiences really go nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it is a little long. I agree. I hate seeing that green Volkswagen again and again and again. Um, <laughs> But at the same Very time, a car in San Francisco, admittedly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three out of five cars that we see in this no. movie are green Beatles. Um, yeah. But then when you look at movies that came after this, French mm-hmm. Connection, for example, is a, is a good example of this. They're doing the exact same thing. They're, all, they're cranking it up to the next level. Mm-hmm. And when you see um, The Fast and the Furious... Sure. Those kinds of things wouldn't have been impossible if it hadn't have been for people being so enthralled by uh, the chase scene in Bullet. Well, or Cannonball Run, where the entire movie is a car chase. And, and you but, know, you look at something like Rocky, it's like, mm-hmm. how many steady cam shots are there in Rocky? The answer is 17. a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand steady cam shots. Yep. Because that's the new technology. Mm-hmm. How many zooms are in blow up? A million, All the a zooms. million zooms yeah. in blow up because that's the new technology. Mm-hmm. So this car chase is this big of it. Like how many times do we go into bullet time in the matrix? Yeah. All of them. Yep. All of the times. Yep. So when you have this new thing that people are trying out, they're going to do it a lot and they're going to try and show it off. Um, I think in a lot of ways, like this car chain, car chase scene holds up. Oh yeah, it does. A lot of the time during movies that aren't explicitly car movies, I zone out during the car yeah, chases. Yeah. And for this one, mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, there was yeah. just like enough interesting stuff happening. And actually, I thought what really grabbed me a lot of the time was the stopping, mm-hmm. like the all of a sudden yeah. having uh-huh. to change directions. Yeah, yeah. And the tension that generates from, is he going to be able to catch up, mm-hmm. catch back that, up to that, them kind of stuff? Well, interesting that little tidbit. That burnout thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Dodge Charger that the bad guys were driving was actually more powerful than Steve McQueen's Mustang. Yeah, so yeah. they actually, the driver was actually having to slow down a lot in those scenes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. So the Mustang yeah. could catch up. Now, I went and read some technical stuff. The engines were not modified uh, for the movie, but they did have to do a lot of the suspension and steering they had to to uh, fix up and tighten mm-hmm. up yeah. uh, so that it would be able to handle the jumps and some of those turns. But otherwise, right. it's basically you're looking at a stock car. There were two bullet cars made. Mm-hmm. One of them was um, sold for scrap at the end of the movie. The other one was sold to someone at, I want to say, Warner Brothers. And it's it passed around several hands. Steve McQueen tried to buy it at one point, but now it is lost. And yeah, no one knows where it is. Somebody stashed it in a barn, and it hasn't been seen since. Yeah. You know so someday that car will show up. Um, but I I just, actually, it's fascinating. Yeah. I once dated a girl who was from the area. She hated this movie. Do you know why? No. The car chase is impossible based on where they are, because you know the thing about they only had nine minutes of footage. There's huge, like, 10 oh, mile yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, turn yeah, a yeah. corner and you're 15 miles away. And she's sure. like, I know that this is, this is impossible and this can't happen. And this is why I hate this movie. But it, I'm like, in general, the whole thing about uh, so many cop drama, crime movies happening in San Francisco that we've seen, I'm mm-hmm. just generally really surprised by it because I've been to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And from what I can tell, it's the hippiest, yeah. gayest, mm-hmm. most fishermanist yeah. place I've ever been. Like yes. that's three kinds of people live in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. 
fishermen, gay people, and hippies. And some of them are all three. And I'm just like... <laughs> I, I, and again, it's just like this, like hard-boiled, like straight-up white guy cop drama. I'm like, do any people like that even live in San Francisco? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's well, really. It's interesting that they set this story there because yeah. he is robot. so not th- that culture yeah, in that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's even it's even fascinating. Again, we talk about slow movies and how we build the faster and faster stuff. Mm-hmm. Just go two years later, three years later, whenever '71 uh, with Dirty Harry, and that movie. Is a slower pace, but it's still faster than Bullet. Hmm. It's it's fascinating. And, and if you if people want to do a com, kind of a compare and contrast, this is the one that I used in class. Was we'd watch Bullet as the chase scene, watch mm-hmm. the whole thing. Even though we probably should have watched the whole movie, we really watched the twelve minutes of car chase, chase. scene. Mm-hmm. And you then, the best part. And then compare. No, I, I think there's actually some other parts that are really no, good. We'll get I to those disagree. No. The best the best yeah, part we'll of Bullet is the. Is the intro? Oh, it's yeah, the that's what I was going to say. Oh, the yeah. open is awesome. <laughs> amazing. I, I I almost didn't watch the movie. I almost just watched that for two yeah, hours. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, then compare that to the opening chase sequence in um, James Bond uh, Casino Royale, yeah. oh, where they're the running around the construction stuff. site, all yeah. the parkour stuff, and just compare and contrast those two chase mm-hmm. sequences. They're both chase sequences, mm-hmm. but look how they're edited. Look how the story unfolds, and look how it's told. Totally different. And I think because of, of time, mm-hmm. we expect yeah. more, we need more, we need more excitement, action, whatever. So right. everybody's going to have to try to top the last guy. Just again, look at the French Connection. The same producer as who produced this movie. Mm-hmm. Look at French Connection. And that chase scene through New York is a heck of a lot more intense than this than the chase scene in Bullet. Talk about the, the opening sequence, why you yeah. liked it so much. Because that is a pretty cool sequence. It is a really cool sequence. And I was surprised because I thought – that this sort of opening sequence was actually actually came later in film history. Mm-hmm. But when it starts happening, I was like, this is that 70s cop yeah, yeah. movie thing. And this movie is barely in the 70s. I mean, it's not even in the mm-hmm. 70s. I was like, did Bullet do this first? And I think it did. I mean, to a certain degree, it's like a, um, it's like a James Bond open, yeah. except... Yeah. And it's the letters instead of naked ladies, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an intro that is um, more dynamic than the rest of the movie. Yeah, um, it has a lot of camera movement. It has text that um, is like active, like yeah. the text is like an active character, like a participant yeah. in and this. It opens up the what the next scene is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, like the, the like the most magnificent shot comes early on where like the the thing you're looking at something and then it opens up and you just see four and it just pans across four guys like these four guys are going to be in this movie and it's just like i don't know there's just something about it that is really great and really dynamic and really um surprisingly especially once you've actually watched the whole movie and something that is um surprisingly um how would I want to say, like, um, n- like metaphorical and like not concrete for a, a movie that is like such mm-hmm. a straight up, yeah. Like, there's there's nothing um, metaphorical about this movie, yeah, yeah. Like, you do get his inner struggle or whatever, but the movie is very the, the open is very um, kind of impressionistic mm-hmm. for a very expressionistic yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the title designer for this was Pablo Ferro. F-E-R-R-O. Uh, there is a website called Art of the Title, and they've got a whole thing on Bullet. I haven't watched. I just found it. Uh, but it's also on Vimeo, and it looks like they have a whole retrospective, a career retrospective in multiple parts of what uh, Pablo did. He also did the original Thomas Crown Affair opening credits, as well as Dr. Strange Love mm. and to Live and Die in L.A., it looks oh, like. Oh, yeah. So there yeah, you go. It was a, it was a wonderful, because I saw your tweet about how awesome his intro was before I even saw it. And it was just, just like, that is the opposite of what I expect. Like, this movie I thought... Yeah, maybe, yeah, like, it's, it's really cool because just, like, it's kind of like just a, this maybe whole... like a Saul Bass kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is not, yeah it's not Saul Bass. No, that's that's no, the no. cool thing about yeah. it. Yeah, but, but that's the thing is, like, um, if you watch that title, it leads you to expect a different movie. Now, mm-hmm. I think nowadays, back then, and again, w- the one problem that I have with it is it goes on too long. Oh, sure. Like at the end, it's like 
the music is like winding down and you see the letters come up and you're like, okay, this is the scene. Right. And then another set of letters pops yeah, up yeah. and then it happens again. It's like, clearly they, they looked at this and this, they were like, dude, dude. Six, 1968 dude this is awesome yeah we need to make this as long as possible <laughs> i wonder you know i don't know if you've ever uh during the making of um how was the motorcycle movie with peter fonda uh, uh which one easy rider. easy rider they were they admit that they were like coked out of their minds they wow. were on everything imaginable that they could get their hands on Sometimes I wonder if the um, casual use of drugs didn't impact some of this stuff. Like you said, can you imagine some guy that's baked out of his mind? Dude, 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 this is so awesome. Do more of that. Uh, it it could be. Um, I mean, I don't like – sometimes you find out that like great pieces of anything, uh, literature, music, whatever, were – uh, put together by people who are just completely <laughs> off their gourds, right? Um, and a lot of the time, the weirdest stuff wasn't. I mean, yeah, like your naked lunch, like that That guy just was n- not, like there was a cosmic being right, right, right. transmitting through him through mushrooms, right? But it's like some of the stuff that wasn't. And I don't, I, I, I think that for culturally speaking, a lot of people have watched this movie. Mm-hmm. While toked up. I'm sure. Um, and that's probably a big part of the appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily know or be able to be like, yep, that guy was super stoned when he did <laughs> yeah. this. Um, because actually, like, I don't know. Maybe it's just that. The movie uh, is very looking, straight. For yeah, that. looking back on it, A, the movie is very straight. B, like all of the, even that intro, it's very... There's no gray areas to it. Like the fonts are sharp, and and granted, our our uh, the way that we think about typeface now mm-hmm. is going to be different from the way that they think about it then, just because of the history of the typefaces that have been used for things. Mm-hmm. But again, it's all like very sharp. Like the text cuts out holes in things, yeah. and then you see through them. There's no fading mm-hmm. or like there's no psychedelic mm-hmm. things to it. No crazy um, spirals. With right, right, right. Colors. Like all the camera yeah. shots are left, right, or like mm-hmm. up, down kind of stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, Zach, go check that out. The art of the title. Oh, yeah. It's, I, I love that. I've, I've watched a bunch of stuff on there. Okay, cool. It's all like all of Saul Bass's stuff, like Vertigo and stuff. All oh, it's over there. All right, trip. cool. Uh, let's give a you know shout out. Can people help us put a lot of this stuff on. I'm going to give them a shout out. So we want to say this episode is brought to you in part by our Major Spoilers VIP members around the world. Thank you for your support of Majorspoilers.com and the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you'd like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com and sign up today. Thank you in advance for all that you do to help Major Spoilers keep going week after week. So, Zach, what do you take away from this? Um, for me, don't, don't take your girlfriend to a crime scene. Uh, yeah, no doubt. She actually watches with me. Um, we had fun pointing out all the repetitive use of cars and the chase scenes and things like that. Um, what I found interesting about this movie was it wasn't a cop movie like Die Hard or like lethal weapon right. the way that i the way that i felt about it it was in a way more it was just more than that like it felt like straight cut like this is the cop but it felt like it could have been easily more like introspective from bullets point of like his thoughts and feelings about like it could have like yeah. I was really, like exploited those more just like the pacing and the like the yeah. way the I, shots and were used. and honestly in both ways it could have been more introspective and it could have been more melodramatic like when you mm-hmm. think about something like Lethal Weapon Lethal Weapon is a lot bigger yeah yeah than Bullet yeah. right and and same thing with like Die Hard and stuff like that is like your gun and your badge on my yeah. desk today yeah. you know as opposed to Bullet is like Bullet you're gonna get in trouble like that's basically what they <laughs> yeah. tell him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and yeah, the fact which that his his different. captain was backing his play, yeah, which yeah. is different than yeah. Dirty Harry a few years right. later, where sure. we look at the cop who is kind of a loose cannon to the lethal weapons, where mm-hmm. these guys are totally out of control right. and you know turning your badge and your your gun right yep. now. So. Yeah, it, it it doesn't ever feel 
like Bullet is acting outside of his boundaries as a detective. Yeah. I mean, he does like the thing where he doesn't like list a body, but he's really never like going on like shooting rampages and interrogating people yeah. like right, unduly right. or yeah, overstepping his yeah, bounds. It feels like he's playing within the system. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just not something we normally see, yeah, that's a especially great point. nowadays, from a cop yeah. movie. It's kind of like that early installment weirdness where you get like the first it's episode and everything isn't quite right. This is yeah. the prototype for all those rogue cop things, but mm-hmm. by those standards, you know, even by the standards of like your Starsky and Hutch, he's pretty much on the ball. He's pretty much still playing by the rules. Yeah. Well, and he's and a detective the and he gave, follows the clues. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which and made- the captain gave him... Control. This yeah. is your case. Yeah. All I care about is results. That is literally what the man told him. And even when evil Robert Vaughn comes in and starts throwing his weight around, the captain's like, yeah, well, you're, he's still Bullet and you're still Robert Vaughn. Did I, did I tell you guys my realization about Bullet? Because I was watching it. If What's you were that? reading my, if yeah. my tweets, then. All right. So I was watching this and I noticed like uh, Steve McQueen's like turtlenecks. Yeah. And I noticed Steve McQueen's, like, button-up shirt with, like, a cardigan over mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Steve McQueen dresses like a dad in this. And I'm like, oh, my God. Is Bullet the reason why dads dress the way they do? Interestingly, following this movie, the sales of blue turtlenecks, um, sweaters, mm-hmm. and tweed jackets with leather patches on the elbows skyrocket. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, trench coats, too. Yeah. So there you go. If you're wondering to know why tweet jackets with elbow patches, uh, leather patches are so uh, popular, Steve McQueen. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 crazy because in this movie, Steve McQueen dresses like Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but another. Sh- it's like, but when you track down everybody's ages is like, yeah, because the people that are that age would have mm-hmm. been. Yeah. kids at that point the and they thought this was awesome and that's why they dressed this way but now this much time has passed and that's how grandpas dress but now kids are starting to wear cardigans again like that so yeah. it's like it's cool again i was just telling um ashley victoria robinson the other day that i was mm-hmm. we were talking and i was like i so want a cardigan sweater like what we see in the old days like yeah, old yeah. grandpas wear mm-hmm. and it's like well because they're cool yeah, yeah. man okay. contrast though even though steve mcqueen is st- "Quote unquote straight mm-hmm. establishment in this piece, he is still a lot more loose than his captains, who are still wearing the very thin oh, black yeah. neckties. Mm-hmm. Both Mister Roper and um, uh, the the other guy. Where else Captain have we Squarehead. seen him? Yeah, where else have we seen him? Was he the guy in the Simpsons? But did he do the voice of the guy in the Simpsons who arrested Bart when he shoplifted that one time? Because he's based on that character. Who the captain? Norman yeah, yeah. Fell." It's no, Captain that's Baker. that's Mister that's Mister Roper. Captain I'm talking about Bennett? The, yeah, Bennett. Simon Oakland. Yeah, yeah, oh. Simon Oakland. What's his square? Um, he was. I don't know if he did anything himself. Let's see. Have gun, will travel. Harry but Mason. I mean, he is very. I mean, he's very. They are very even more conservative than yeah. Steve McQueen yeah, is yeah, in this yeah, piece. Absolutely. So I find that very interesting. As far he as was the goes. captain in Baba Black Sheep. That's probably where you know him from, Stephen. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Or maybe, maybe he was the captain. Was he on Quincy? Yeah, he was on Quincy. There you go. That's probably where I remember him most from. Yeah, that's almost. What else did you take away from this, Zach? Um. So, well, well, do you want to get an an idea? I've I've had then that it pertains to this in the idea of like the wide shot chart car chase thing. Like, let your actors do something cool they can do. Do you want to? You want to go down a trail of? That, what I see in nowadays. Go ahead. Yeah, man. Go Okay, go okay. Ahead. So, I had this discussion with a couple people. Uh, so, I mean, we've seen like this. We discussed it earlier. Old movies let people dance and sing and do all these wide shots and everything. We see now Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. or Stephen McQueen is driving mm-hmm. his car like a, like a bad man. Yeah. He's uh, driving it like Batman? Yeah, like Batman. <laughs> um, so, I saw analysis after Edgar Wright got booted from Ant-Man. Of mm-hmm. breaking down his style of comedy, like the quick cuts and right. the, the way he does a lot of his comedy through the techniques of film mm-hmm. uh, is essentially what kind of Edgar Wright's style breaks down to. Uh, and going against 
the look of a, like an Apatow movie where it's a lot of medium shots and it's just people like talking all the time and like comparing like which is a better style of comedy and everything. And so I started thinking about it and some people, I mean, people in like film like will go down on Apatow movies. I personally think they're hilarious. Uh, but I was thinking the reason they shoot the way they do those movies and they're running three cameras at a time to get everyone on their own camera is because they're all improving. Like the right, entire right. movie, most of his movies are they they film them, they do script, they do changes, and then they just let them improv for like fifteen minutes on a scene, and then they move on. Uh, so like to come down on the way like that would have been like coming down on this movie when it was released for not like quick cutting or like they didn't even have it right, then. Right. Sure. But like the way we see a lot of like Seth Rogen and those guys and how they're doing their movies and like all that big bunch of guys just making comedies in Hollywood right now is let your really funny people who are just naturally funny. A lot of them are stand up comedians and have done that. Let them just start riffing and we're not going to move the camera because we're going to miss something. Well, so but I, I also go down think that rabbit hole. Uh, you're not you're not wrong. I, I think in in your observation that when you have a looser style, mm-hmm. um, that that is what you want to do to make sure that you have all your action covered. I think in this particular place, because of the location that they're shooting and limited access to those locations, it's let's choreograph this, let's drive it slow, sure. then let's make sure that we have cameras covering this because we've only got one chance to get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to Lethal Weapon two or three, the one where they blow up the b- building at the beginning. Where they're running out of the building and it blows up behind them and comes down. Oh, yeah. That was an actual building that was slated for demolition. Mm -hmm. And they got approval from the city to go and shoot this. But they only had one chance to get everything done and hope that they got it right. So they covered the place with cameras because we've only got one chance to get this uh, building blowing up. We've only got one chance to get these cars Mm -hmm. racing around the corner. We've only got one chance to see them launch off the top of this hill. So we better try to cover it as many places as we want. But I think from the acting standpoint, you're you're right from from that standpoint. From what we see with Rudd and yeah. and the others, yeah, 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 I think you're spot on with that. Oh, thank you. I didn't know. Looking at the list, I didn't know if I ever to talk about that again on Zach on film. So I might as well just jump it in there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Um. I actually no, did notice something. Sure. Go ahead. And I don't know if it's if it's necessarily entirely uh, germane. Did you guys notice the Warner Seven Arts logo at the beginning of the film? Yeah, yeah, the Warner Seven Arts that was apparently there. I didn't realize that they actually had made movie. The only other place I'd ever seen that is on Warner Brothers cartoons from the '60s. Some of the Daffy and Speedy cartoons near the end of the actual you know making of decent cartoons back in the day. Uh, apparently, this was only together for like a year and a half. Warner Brothers was actually sold to another company, which I thought was interesting now that we think of Warner wow. Brothers as one of these. Yeah, They're it's a giant conglomerate. It was sold to Seven Arts Productions, which was then sold to the, the Kinney Parking Group, which also at the time owned National Periodical Publishing. So when people say Warner Brothers bought DC Comics, that's not true. The company that owned DC Comics bought Warner Brothers on the cheap in 1970-something, which I thought was kind of weird and interesting. And I, I looked it up because of that weird logo at the front, and I was like, I didn't realize. I thought that was a thing that represented the cartoon studios. But it's actually a point in time where Warner Brothers was basically up for pennies on the dollar, apparently. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I know, the other thing I noticed, which I started paying attention to more in Psycho, was like the staging of a shot and not necessarily the people come into it, but like what is in the foreground, right? What is in the midground? What is the background? Uh, I guess I haven't really paid attention to that very much, but just seeing because a lot of people don't pay. I mean, <laughs> a lot of directors yeah. and cinematographers are just like, we need to see the actor. Yeah. 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 And right. so, and it builds like a more dynamic shot. If mm-hmm. you have something, uh, in the foreground and especially in the background because you get like weird action and people yeah, yeah. Like, being alive and there's actually like, this live world surrounding what is happening in the yeah. scene uh, is interesting and they don't do it every shot because it's not necessary in every shot no. but 
when they do use it, it makes for a more yeah uh, there, than better. Story. It reminds me there was a piece I did um, years and years and years ago when I was in Atlanta, and it was an interrogation scene mm-hmm. that of this detective that led into this detective witnessing the interrogation of another person. Mm-hmm. And so while I was shooting this, I was like, well, we're in this in this studio. It's blacked out, but behind the the detective that's being interrogated, there's a window mm-hmm. out into the lobby. And I was like, well, why don't we stage this so that in the foreground, while the detective is being interrogated, we're seeing the other person being forcibly pulled oh, yeah. through the shot in the background. And if you're not paying attention because he's all in silhouette, mm-hmm. because there is the person in the foreground, the door has a slash of light through it so you can see that it's a door. And then the hallway way far back at the other end of the hallway is illuminated so you can see – this silhouette of this person being dragged off, mm-hmm. it does work out really well when you do that because then later when the detective is walking the ha- hallway and he peers into another room where there's an interrogation going on, you recognize it as the same person that was right. being hauled away earlier. So right. that kind of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. can be used to great extent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why I think in some movies, directors will intentionally play with foreground and background elements to force you to watch the entire picture, not just focus on an yeah, actor sure. uh, in that particular scene, because there's other little mm-hmm. things that are going on that if you don't pay attention to that, you're going to miss out on right. on the connection later on mm-hmm. uh, in the yeah. story. And it it's uh, it kind of makes you kind of make me focus on the use of depth of field more because it's not mm-hmm. a super shallow image because you want to get something in the background you always kind of mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll blur out the foreground a little bit because that can be way distracting if you have a lot of crisp images right in front you're trying to focus on right. people in the middle uh and so what kind of uh a focus depth they're using in their shot to get that keep in mind that depth of field extends twice as far behind the subject than it does in front of the subject so when you're shooting somebody the objects in the foreground are going to go out of focus a lot faster than the objects behind your subject are going to do that. So that does that brings up a question that I had that I remember when we were watching it at the end of the chase. Uh, spoilers: the charger explodes, <gasps> and, and we do like a fade cut. But it's like the only fade, and is that like the only fade in the movie? Because I was sitting and watching that, and I thought it, it was after, really odd. Is it after the car's blown up and we see the bodies the burning blown on the inside? Up, we see the bodies in the burning car, and then they do a crossfade to bullet back at headquarters, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, your fade would be a passage of time. But it's the only time that I recall seeing a fade in the entire movie, even That's when there would naturally be a passage of time. Everything else just seems like it's bup, 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 cut. And I wasn't sure if that was something having to do with the, I think it, that I, particular scene. or Yeah, I bet you. Yeah, because a significant time has passed because when you're back in the police uh, headquarters, they're talking mm-hmm. about, oh, he blew this car up and this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. And this is I all bet taken. You, I got two bodies. Yeah. yeah, I bet you it was because, you know, if they had tried it with just a straight up cut, they'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's back at headquarters. And they we have all this information. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we haven't seen any of this stuff. But if you do a fade, then, yeah, it communicates to people that yeah, time has yeah, passed. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a good point because the rest of the movie, as, as far as I remember, it is just cuts. I, I do like yeah. this movie. Do you like this movie, Rodrigo, in I, hindsight? Yeah. Oh, after you've seen it, yeah, you watch I, it again? I actually, I watched it. I enjoyed it. Um, would I watch it again? Not on my own, but, you know, we've established in this and, and multiple other shows over the Major Spoilers Network that I'm actually not a big fan of crime mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, in general, it's kind of not my thing, except for, like, team heist movies. I'm into yeah. those. Um, <laughs> but uh, if this was playing, if I was watching TV, flipping through the channels, I'd definitely watch it again. Um, and definitely if I cut it at the beginning, I would like, I don't know. I got this on iTunes. Um, I rented it on iTunes and like, I don't know if my 24 hours are up yet. Actually, they would be because I watched it a couple of days ago. I was like, I want to see that open again. Like, go to that, go to that art yeah. of the title yeah. website. Cause it looks like they have that whole open right there that you can watch again and again and again. Nice. Matthew, would you watch this movie again? Oh yeah. This time I'd watch it in English. I accidentally watched it in Hindu and because you know, that opening sequence has that long bit where we don't have the dialogue. I didn't realize at first that it was Hindi because I was kind of like multitasking and I'd been watching that and I was like, ooh, I like this. This is cool. This is cool. This is cool. And then the guy walks up and, and he's asking. it breaks like, into that big dance sequence yeah, for no reason. And like, dance. like six minutes in, he walks up to the desk and asks if he has any messages. And I'm like, wait, 
I don't understand these words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? 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 And, and that I, is and know. that is how movies are translated. They are just like completely transformed into whatever that yes, uh, that, style that country's <laughs> style is. So like Bullet in France was all in black and white. Yes. Right. Uh, that was really choppy sequences. Bullet actually oh, yeah. wore a striped a yep. striped shirt yep. with a beret and smoked a cigar. You gonna watch His this name again, was Le Boulet. Yeah, I would France. totally watch this again. What uh, would your wife think? Um, I think she was cool with it. I think some movies she hasn't finished watching. Uh, she thought the ending was strange, and but she watched the whole thing all the way through. Yeah, she watched the whole thing. Cool. Yeah, Damien fall asleep. All right, it's excellent. Crazy. All right, take us out of here. Zach. Okay, that'll be it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. Head over to majorspoilers dot com. You can find that podcast posting page and give your thoughts about Steve McQueen, Mustangs, and the rest of Bullet. Uh, while there, click on the Amazon dot com link. You can go shop your heart out at. Amazon and buy all the things in your want list. Buy uh, upcoming or past movies from the Zach on Film series. Uh, it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit. We'll come back to Major Spoilers to help. I know, keep the roof above our heads. Or uh, new water heaters and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, that's it for that part. Next week, we will be talking about Dial M for Murder on Zach on Film. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big